Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. And while you're here, go ahead and head over to our online platform, thelifeonline.cc, where you'll find content on all kinds of topics like forgiveness, healing, prophecy, faith, and so much more. So check it out at thelifeonline.cc and enjoy today's message. Open up your Bibles with me if you brought them to the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 today, and I'm excited about the direction the Holy Spirit has us in. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're talking about uh, love is. That's the, the title of our series, Love Is. And today we're talking about love is compassion without compromise. Love is compassion without compromise. Now, the Bible teaches us that God is one. And it also teaches us that God is love. And one of the chief reasons why God is love is God is one. Now, when Scripture says God is one, it's not just like God the Father. We know he's the blessed three in one. And when he uses that word one, he actually uses it with the intentionality of that word means a coming together, that there are many coming together to form one, that there is unity. And so the father, he's never alone because it's dangerous. It's not good to be alone. He's never alone. He's the blessed three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what do you see? You see the fellowship between them. Uh, They're talking to each other. They're strengthening each other. You see the Father strengthening the Son, the, uh, the Spirit strengthening the Son. You see the Son acknowledging the Father. You see the Father acknowledging the Son. You see the Son bringing glory to his Father's name, and you see the Father giving glory to his Son. You see the Son lift up the Spirit and promote him, not, not afraid to promote somebody else. Uh, And you see the Spirit empower Jesus to be promoted. Uh, And this is what makes God love, is God is one. Now what's very interesting is that when Jesus was praying here on the earth, did you know Jesus prays for you and prayed for you? In fact, right now Jesus is at the throne of heaven, the throne of God, making intercession for you. And one of the things he's praying for is the same thing he prayed for in the book of John, is that you may be one, because he wants you love too. And it's not just like, I want all my people to be loving, because I said so. It's because he knows that's ultimately what you want, that when you're not alone, uh, that when you have people who are strengthening you, you have people who are promoting you. You have people who see who you are and they want others to see who you are. And they're not ashamed for other people to see your strengths. In fact, they're not only not ashamed to see your strength, for other people to see your strengths, they are promoting your strengths. They are lifting you up. You go through a time where you're in need, they're there in that time. They're an ever-present help in a time of trouble. They're making you laugh. They're making you cry in a good way. Uh, like all of these types of things. What does that give you? When you have people like that in your life, what does that give you? Life. And if you have a good life, you have love. And there's no way to have love without having oneness. 
God is love because God is one. There is no division in him. There is no strife in him. And so when God is looking to develop you, he's looking to get you in a oneness, that we may be one with each other as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are one, that there is no division among us, that there are supplies that you're giving me and I am giving you. But of course, the enemy knows this, which is why the enemy attacks love like no other subject. And in our lives, uh, we see things that come in and attack us that create distance one to another. And now there's distance and there's friction between me and my father. How did that happen? And me and my mom and me and a friend and me and a coworker and me and a spouse. There's, there's friction and there's distance and there's all this lack of oneness. What do I do when that happens? That's what we're talking about today. Compassion without compromise. Now, when we say compassion, um, the Bible talks about us opening up our heart of compassion, and what that just simply means is love in action, and keep that in mind for the end of this message. What is compassion? It is love in action. It's not just like, well, I love them. It is like, prove it. You show it. It's love in action. It's not just, oh, they're hungry. It's like, I will go feed them. It's like, oh, they don't have good clothes. It's like, I will send them clothes. It, it it is love in action. And for us as Christians, we ought to be famous for our compassion. Uh, we ought to be famous for when we find people who are hurting, we are healers. When we are finding people who are in needs, we are meeting those needs. When we hear about a church member going through a hard time, it ought to be no strange thing at any of our campuses for other members to be paying other members' bills who are in a place where they need it and in a place where they need a helping hand. It ought to be something where we're, we're trying to see who can pay for each other's lunches in the cafe. Like We're, we're so moved with compassion. Like Our hearts are constantly going out and we're stopping on each other's lives to see what do you have need with. That's a good thing. Compassion is wonderful. But today, what I'm not talking about is compassion to people who are in a problem. They have a problem. We ought to have a heart of compassion and help them in that problem. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about today. Today, what I'm actually talking about is people who are the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one thing for a person to, to be in a problem. It's a whole nother thing when the person is the problem. Uh, Pastor Joel, what do I do in that moment? We are going to practice compassion um, without compromise. Now, the, the first thing I want to do is just kind of lead with two questions. And the first question is just simply this. Number one, do they know what is hurting them, me, us. Uh, do they know what is hurting them? Do they know what is hurting me? Do they know what is hurting the relationship? Us. I was listening to um, a speaker the other day, and he was talking about another preacher he saw on a television program, and they were being interviewed by all of these like news hosts and people, and uh, the person who was you know, there, the, the pastor who was being interviewed was uh, a major known pastor. Like if I said his name, I bet most of the people in here watching would, would know. And that type of thing. Um, and they were trying to like corner him and like maneuver around this in such a way where they could kind of like be accusatory towards them. And one of them said this phrase. They said, well, didn't Jesus come preaching love and acceptance? 
And that sounds great, like love and acceptance, that sounds wonderful. And as soon as I heard that phrase, love and acceptance, immediately in my heart I knew, no, he didn't. He didn't come preaching love and acceptance. Jesus came preaching love and repentance. Uh, Jesus went about teaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, an example of this is the woman who's caught in adultery. We're talking about, what do I, ha- what do, I do when someone is the problem? Like, <laughs> they are, are doing things that are creating distance and hurt and harm in my life, in their life, and in their relationship. There's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. And you have people who are not willing to compromise. They are firm. And they bring her before Jesus, throw her down at Jesus' feet, and they're like, we're not willing to compromise, are you? The law says stoner, and they have their stones and they're ready. And so what's Jesus going to do here? Is he going to compromise or is he going to love? Like, is he going to, to have, you know, what type of interaction is going to happen here? And so you know what happens is Jesus writes something in the sand, and as soon as Jesus writes something in the sand, basically we get the idea that whatever he wrote convicted them in their own conscience, and they realized, okay, if we're not going to compromise on this issue, what about my issue? And I think if my issue was brought to the light the way this woman's issue is being brought to the light, we might wind up getting stoned too. Uh, and so out of this, let me drop my stone. See, they, they had no willingness to compromise, but no compassion. Uh, it was all, the law says this, and dogmatic of, you should be punished without any empathy, without any heart. And Jesus comes in with love, and, and all of them drop their stones, and he, he picks the woman up, and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none. And he says, neither do I accuse you or condemn you. What is that? That's, that's love, and that's what each one of us will find in Jesus. But then he says something very interesting after that. He said, but go and sin no more. What is that? Repentance. See, repentance, it's not a, a, a bad word. And when, when people say repent, it's been preached in such a way where it's like, you repent, you repent, you repent, because you're all going to hell. Uh, and it's like that type of thing. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not the heart of God. What, what is repentance? Repentance is this. I'm, my, I was out on my back porch the other day, and I was kind of fake cleaning. Uh, <laughs> I really, I was enjoying the back porch, but uh, I had told my wife I would help clean. Uh, and so I'm out there, like, kind of, you know, moving stuff around. But I look over in the corner, and I see um, a spider web, and I go look at it, and there's a black widow there, a big one. And I know my son, Benjamin, my youngest, plays out there a lot. Um, and if I went out there and I saw Benjamin playing with this, this black widow spider, I would ask him to repent. Uh, repentance doesn't mean like, feel terrible and bad for playing with that spider. It means to relinquish. I will not hold this any longer. I will remove myself from something that is dangerous for me. I will not allow this to harm me. I will not allow this to hurt me. I will remove it from my house. I will remove it from my life. Why? It has the potential to be dangerous. And so because this is dangerous, I'll not play with it. Because this is dangerous, I'll not allow it in my house. Because this is dangerous, I'll not allow you to play with it. Because this is dangerous, we're not going to associate with it. Because it's dangerous, we're going to remove it from you. Why? I love you enough 
to not let you play with something that is dangerous. And in in God's world and in Jesus' world, he knows that there are things that are in our lives that if we continue down that path, it is dangerous for us. It is dangerous for the people who love us. It is dangerous for our relationships. It is dangerous for our marriage. And so what does God come and ask us to do? Repent. And when he asks us to repent, it's not that he's mad at us, he loves us. It'd be like me having my, my son trying to bring in a water moccasin into the house. Or, you know, you can imagine, it's like, well, not just one, but let's bring in every rattlesnake, every copperhead, and every water moccasin, and let's just bring it all in the house. Would you put up with that? No, it's like, no, I would not allow these things in my house, Pastor Joel. Of course not. Well, that's repentance. It's coming to this place where it's like, I don't want this in my house. Well, why? It's dangerous. And it's not me not not loving you or not me loving Ben. It's me, I love you enough to not let you do something that hurts you. And I love you enough not to do something that when it hurts you, it also hurts me because I love you so much. And so I'm asking you to relent. I'm asking you to relinquish. I'm asking you to repent. And this is the heart of Christ, is that there are things in our lives that he came to to seek and save us from. But oftentimes, all we like sheep, we go astray, and instead of rebuking the darkness, we start tolerating it. And it comes in our lives, and ultimately, it decays, and it brings about harm, and it must be addressed. Now, here's where this gets very interesting, is a lot of times this happens in the people that you love. That the people that you love, it could be a mother, a father, it could be a son, daughter, it could be an employee, it could be a friend, um, that you're in a relationship with them, but they are involved in something that is dangerous, and they're, they're playing with things that if they don't quit playing with it, it will hurt them. If they, if they don't quit entertaining this, it will hurt you. If they don't quit changing you know, and make adjustments to what they're doing, it will hurt the relationship. And when this happens, what do I do with that? Like, how do I go about navigating this field? And this is like so, even in writing this message, it said, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to help the heart of every single hearer because everybody's relationship is different. And I want people to understand what your Holy Spirit is saying to their conscience when these truths are being communicated. Um, now, here's something that I, I have to talk about before I dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Love is compassion without compromise, but love is also making allowances for other people's faults. Uh, love will make allowance for things that it can make allowance for. How many of you know not everything should be a big deal? Uh, if somebody doesn't text you back, it doesn't mean they should be canceled. Like, it's like it, not everything in a marriage can be a big deal. Not everything in a friendship should be a big deal. And the reason why is Colossians chapter 3 tells us this in verse number 13. Colossians chapter, uh, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians, maybe? Nope. No, okay, that's okay. Uh, So, but Colossians talks about that each one of us should make allowances for the other. Uh, That in our own life, we have to come to this place where not everything is a big deal. 
And so out of this, when I, when I get into what I'm about to talk about, I am not talking, I think they have it now, Colossians chapter three, yes. Make allowances for each other's faults. Now, what is this making allowances for each other's faults? It's just me saying like, okay, not everything that you do is something that we have to have a discussion over. But there is some things that come up in a, a, in a relationship that are things that we have to talk about. Because if we don't talk about this, there is distance and danger that is coming into this relationship. And the perfect example of this is for, uh, Second Corinth, or 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 1. We're actually going to read almost the whole chapter here. It says, it is actually reported, uh, this is Paul, he's writing a letter to a church he established in Corinth, um, and He's away from it, so people are writing to him. And apparently there's someone who's writing him all the issues in the church. And you know when he reads this letter, everyone is trying to figure out who it is. It's like, which one of you is the snitch? Like, we must know. Uh, but here he says, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you. An immorality of such a kind that doesn't even exist among sinners. That someone has his father's wife. Now, somebody, what is going on here? Um, there is a, a father uh, who got remarried, and so now he has a son uh, that has a stepmother, and the son is now in relationships, uh, or in a relationship physically with his stepmother. Wow. And they ought in the same church. <laughs> uh, and so everyone is here, uh, and everyone knows about it, but no one wants to say anything. And everyone knows there's tension, and everyone knows it's not right, and everyone knows it's got to be talked about, but no one wants to talk about it. No one wants to bring it up. No one wants to correct anything, because a lot of times we just think if we don't deal with it, it'll go away until it doesn't go away. And this is what Paul is dealing with, is you not dealing with it, it's actually making it bigger. Uh, and I have to come and I'm addressing this now and watch what he addresses here. He says, you have become, verse two, arrogant and have not mourned. Like this should, should hurt your heart, this should wound you, this should come to a place where it makes us change. But he said, you have not mourned, instead, uh, so that one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has committed this as though I was present. In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have de decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. Your, your boasting about this is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens and changes the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may have a new lump, just as in fact uh, the unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has also been sacrificed. Watch this in verse number nine. He said, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Verse 10, I did not at all mean the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or adulterers, uh, for then you would have to go out of the world. What's he talking about there? He's saying like, when I say don't associate with immoral people, he's saying I'm not talking about the people who are like in the world. Because he said we live in an immoral world, and so the only way you could not be around people like that is to leave the world. 
Uh, but he's saying what I'm talking about is the context of who you decide to do relationships with, who you decide to do life with. And he said, this is what this instruction for is I'm telling you there are some boundaries you need in relationships. And he says, this is a case where those boundaries need to be enforced. He, he goes on to say in verse 11, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is immoral, covetous, an adulterer, a reveler, meaning a fighter, a drunkard, a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what are I, I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges, remove the wicked man from uh, yourselves. And I read this and I'm like, he is hangry. Somebody give him a Snickers. Like this is, wow, deliver him you know, to Satan for the destruction of his flesh? Like all these things. But how many of you believe that in this, the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us something? That this is not just written to this church, that out of this, this is a lesson for us. What do you do when somebody is causing a problem? There's tension in your relationship, and you're wondering, should I say something or should I not? What do you do when somebody's doing something that's in, you know, son or daughter? It's dangerous to them. And to see them keep playing with it, it's going to hurt them and break your heart. What do you do with somebody who is a fighter, and everything turns into a fight, and everything turns into strife? And, and you sense that like every time I'm around them, I'm a lesser version of myself. Like what do I do when I'm in this, this situation? I know there's this relational tension. Here he says, okay, you're wanting to know what to do? I'll give you three things to do. Here are the three things. Number one, number one, we must be honest. He said, you have not addressed this issue. Like, you have to come and you have to tell them, this thing that is happening, it is not good for you. Like, there is no way this ends well. There's no way this ends well for you. There's no way this ends well for your father. There's no way this ends well for your stepmother. There is no way this ends well for the church. I have to tell the truth. Now, here's the thing. This is not, uh, like, we're not compromising. Uh, this is, it breaks my heart to tell you this. So like if you enjoy telling people the truth of, you know what, you're fired. You know what, we are done here, sir. Thank you very much. Like if you enjoy telling people the truth like that, then you have missed the mark. Because it's not just like, we're not compromising, it is compassion first without compromise. It is we love you and we are for you, but we're not bringing that in the house. Period. This is not something that can be tolerated any longer. Uh, it's not me like, you know, I'm going to, Pastor Joel, I'm going to go off and I'm going to tell them all the truth and give them a piece of my mind. Please don't give anybody a piece of your mind. If you keep giving everybody a piece of your mind, you're going to wind up with no mind left to give. Just slow down. Come to a place where you have compassion. Have you ever missed it? Have you ever needed someone to be patient with you? Have you ever needed kindness? Have you ever needed someone to understand, to understand what you were going through? Yes. Approach them with that attitude. And, and before there's any type of consequence or before there's any type of boundary, uh, come to them and, and tell them why. So it's not just like, they shouldn't have to ask me why I'm not calling. They should know. They shouldn't ask, oh, like, are you okay? They should know. And they should know exactly why it's not okay. We live in a culture that doesn't want to tell anybody the truth anymore. 
And we have to come and we have to say, like, no, no, no. The thing that you're doing is hurting you. Like, you, you can't sleep with your stepmom and think this is going to be okay. Like, that's a pretty clear truth. Uh, like, we, we can't always have this go on in our relationship and expect, like, it doesn't hurt you or me. Like, it, it hurts everything. We have to come to a place where we speak the truth, but when we're communicating that truth, it must be done so in love. The second thing that he says that we have to do here is not only are we, we, we speaking the truth and being honest, but I, I must be willing to allow consequences. I, I have to come to this place where I will allow consequence to happen in the lives of others. I was reading this book, Boundaries, uh, by um, Dr. Cloud. It's a great book. If you want more information about what we're talking about today, get Boundaries by Dr. Cloud and Dr. Townsend. And he gives this illustration. Uh, there was this guy who, who uh, was in a um, psychiatric hospital. He was being checked in, and his family was there with him, his wife, his son, and his daughter. And he said, we'd like to see Dr. Cloud. And so Dr. Cloud comes uh, to, to go see him. And he says, so uh, what are you here for? What's going on? And he was wrestling with anxiety and depression and like all these things of the mind, which a lot of times the reason why we're wrestling with a lot of these things is because we're not telling anybody the truth. And so he asked him, uh, what's going on? Like, what, what, what's your problem? He said, my son is actually my problem. And so a son is standing right there and he's like, so what's going on with you? He's like, not me, my brother. And so he asked them, he said, well, where's your son? Where's your brother? He said, well, he's not here. I said, well, where is he? And they said, well, he didn't want to come. He doesn't feel like he has any problems. And he said, Dr. Cloud said, well, maybe he doesn't have any problems. What do you feel like's going on? He said, since this kid was 15, he's been doing drugs. And for years, we came to this place where we, we helped him and, and, you know, would do all these things, but he showed no willingness to change. And when he finally graduated high school, we're like, well, it's time to go to college. And so we helped him get into college, paid his way, and he flunked out of college three times, uh, three different colleges. And Dr. Cloud is like, how is that even possible <laughs> to like flunk out of three different colleges? And so he asked that out loud and his dad said, well, you know, the first one we paid his way, dropped out. The second one, I had a friend that got him in, he flunked out. The third one, uh, I was on the, the board of the college and so I got him in there and I thought, well, he's facing like all these challenges over here in, you know, when he on, on campus and like parties and all that kind of stuff. So I'll buy him a house. And so he, he bought him a house and he's like, I'll give him off campus and, you know, just let him go to college. And he flunked out of that one. And he said, well, where is he now? And he's like, well, he's not here. He said, I know that, but like if you put a GPS on him, where would he be? They said, well, he's in Vail, Colorado. It's like, well, what's he doing in Vail, Colorado? Who he's skiing? Well, how can he afford to ski? Uh, they, they asked him, he asked him that question. He said, well, uh, we send all our kids a stipend every month. Uh, you know, to kind of help pay for their bills and, you know, that kind of thing. And so he said, let me get this straight. You're about to be checked into a psychiatric hospital because your son is your problem. And you're sending all your problems a stipend every <laughs> And so he said, well, he said, you know, I'm just trying to do what I can. And anyway, Dr. Cloud told him, he said, I can't help your son. He's like, why can't you help my son? He said, I can't help your son because your son doesn't have any problems. He's like, no, he's got a lot of problems. 
He's got a drug addiction problem. He's dropped out of high, you know, college three times. He said, no, 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 those aren't your son's problems. They are your problems. You have violated the law of sowing and reaping. <laughs> it's there for a reason. You have allowed your son to sow the seed of drug addiction and you have reaped all the consequences. You have allowed your son to sow the seed of being undisciplined with his studies and you have reaped all the consequences. You have let your son sow the seed of not wanting to get a job and you have reaped all the consequences. And he said, the way I'm going to fix your problems is by letting your son actually have some problems. <laughs> oh, come on, come on, somebody. I know this is not, you know. He said, the way you're not doing any favors to your son by letting him be irresponsible. Let me ask you a question. When the prodigal son, in the story Jesus told of how the kingdom of God operates with the heavenly father, when the prodigal son went away, did the father come up behind him and clean up all his mess while he was still in sin? I'm not going to let that hurt him. I'm not going to let that hurt him. I'm not going to let this hurt him. I'm... No. What did the father do? He waited. And he let the son go out, and the son sowed a lot of bad seed, and out of that he reaped a very bad harvest. And the whole time he's reaping that harvest, it breaks the father's heart. And the father is waiting for him to come home, but he's not until the Bible says he comes to himself. And when he comes to himself, you know what the prodigal decides to do? He decides to take responsibility for his life. And he walks back home, and when he walks back home, he doesn't see a father being like, I told you so! You know, this is what happens, rubbing it in his face. He sees a father there with what? Compassion, open arms, and he's running to him. And so this, this is why your hand never has to be on an enemy. Because every time they sow that seed, if they keep sowing that seed without repentance, I'm telling you, there will always be a harvest. But when that harvest comes, for this guy in 1 Corinthians, he said this, this harvest that will come through the destruction of his flesh, it'll actually wake him up and it'll save his soul. That he'll have that moment where he comes to himself too. And these things are never easy because it will hurt your heart. It'll hurt your heart to have people who are going through things. It should. It shouldn't bless you at all when you see the, the harvest come on somebody who's, who's hurt you or wounded you. But sometimes we must be willing to allow the consequences. Otherwise, they'll never come to themselves and have a realization, I need to change. I got to change the way I talk to people. I got to change the way I handle money. I got to change the way, I got I to gotta talk to somebody about my triggers for anger. I got to talk to somebody about me, me drinking too much. I've got to address this issue. And a lot of times the only way for people to get there is through the allowing of consequences and then finally the enforcing of boundaries. He says not only is, do we have to allow consequences to come into the life of this young man, he said, but we must set up firm boundaries. And we have to say, you can't do this here. That as long as you're doing this, there's not going to be the, the intimacy we want with you. That this is not something that can happen in this family. This is not something that can happen in this church. 
And somebody says, well, well, doesn't God love everybody? Yes, but he doesn't love everything. He hates sin. And the reason why he hates sin is how destructive it is in my life and how destructive it is in yours. And so he draws these boundaries. This is why in, in the Lord's Prayer, it's like, forgive us, Lord, when we trespass. What is trespassing? The violation of boundaries. And forgive those who trespass against us. That there's sometimes people override our boundaries. And it's like, whoa, 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 you shouldn't talk to me that way. Whoa, 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 you shouldn't treat me this way. Whoa, 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 you shouldn't act like this around me. Whoa, 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 you can't be that way around my kids. And I'm sorry, like, but I can't have that around my kids. I can't let my kids see that. I can't let my kids be around that. And somebody says, well, I'm trying to be loving. You are being loving. Because as long as they think they can do that and not pay consequences, as long as they think they can do that and it'll end well for them, you are not loving them by letting them play with the snake. You are not loving them by letting them play with something that will hurt them. But for too long, religion has just been on this side of like boundaries and consequence. And so the world has tuned out. And meanwhile, while the world has tuned it out, they're more hurting than ever. Because no one wants to tell the truth anymore, but no one, the people who are telling the truth aren't telling it with compassion. <laughs> and so let us be people who navigate these things well. The story does not end here with 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, it actually goes on and says this, and I want to close with this. Paul writes another letter. Apparently, this church took massive action, and they erred on the side of no compromise. And they take this guy, and they kick him out of the church, and they enforce these boundaries, and they say, no longer will we be a covering for your consequences. And so out of this, like they, they do what Paul said, but they didn't do it with the spirit Paul wanted them to do it with. It was no compromise, but no compassion either. And so Paul hears about this and he writes the letter of 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, he says this in chapter 2 in verse 4. He says, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. I didn't get any peace, basically what he's saying to you. I got no satisfaction out of telling you the truth. I didn't want to just rock in your world and be like, we're over, we're done. He said, it brought me no joy. He said, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with tears. Not so that you would be made sorrowful but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. But if any man has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you. He brings up this young man. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority. Said on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Here's the second question. Okay, you got a problem person. First question. Do they know the truth? That what they're doing is hurting them, me, and us. But secondly, do they know I love them? 
when I'm telling them this truth, do they know I love them? When I'm letting them suffer consequence for their action, do they know I love them? When I'm enforcing these boundaries, do they know that I love them? And he said, if the answer to that is no, he said, you need to do something. You need to reaffirm your love towards them. That you let them know there is a way back. (laughs) That you let them know, I do want to have a healthy relationship with you. That you let them know that there is restoration that can happen through Jesus. That I'm not holding your sin over your head. But I am saying as long as it is unrepented of, there, there is something that a boundary will block until this issue is changed. But it is not because I don't love you. I don't love that issue. And this is the thing that must be addressed in order for reconciliation to happen. When Peter wounded Jesus, I love how Jesus went after him and cooked him a meal. He reaffirmed his love for him. And I know many times in my own life, the Lord Jesus has reaffirmed his love for me. And somebody says, why does that matter? Because oftentimes... Some, you know, I, I'll be honest and say sometimes I wish the consequence would just wake people up, but it doesn't. Not every time. They, they say, especially for people who go to rehab, nine different rehabs, nine different ones before they make a decision to change. Isn't that something? Nine different ones. Consequences. What, 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 what else is that? Boundary. But you know one thing that leads people to repent? It's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. And sometimes in the middle of paying for a consequence and in the sometime in the middle of a boundary being enforced, someone just being shown a little bit of goodness, a little bit of kindness, that even with all that, I still love you. I know we don't talk like we used to, and we can't. I'm not going to let you throw a spear at me. (laughs) But you need to know. You need to know. I sure do love you. And that little bit of light creeps through that darkness. And it opens up a heart. Let us be people who love well. How do we do that? Love is compassion without compromise. Let's pray today. We'll end in song. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you help us love well. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if if you're here today, there at Highland Colony, watching online, I want you to think of a, a person in your life who maybe there's distance with. I want you to see their face. Holy Spirit, help us right now in Jesus' name just see the person of somebody that there might be a little distance with. It could be a friend. It could be a relative. It could be a mom. It could be a dad. It could be a brother. It could be a sister. And as you you see their face, I want you to ask yourself those questions. Do I need to tell them the truth? Do I need to let them have some of their own consequences? Do I need to draw some boundaries?
but perhaps even most important, do they know that I love them? And Father, would you allow your Holy Spirit to enable us to navigate all these things well? In fact, right now, with every head bowed, all of our campuses, every head bowed, say this prayer with me. You can just repeat it after me. Say, I will not allow any bitterness in my heart. No root of bitterness will be in me. I say today, I confront you in Jesus' name. I forgive. I am tenderhearted. I love my enemies. And I do good to people who even do bad to me. I thank you, Father, that your love constrains me and washes my heart perfectly clean. I make a decision to love like I've never been hurt. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I ask you to give me the courage to love like Jesus. I thank you, Father. Your Holy Spirit is showing me what the boundaries need to be and what I need to do concerning every relationship. And I thank you, Father. You're at work in me, in my friendships, and in my family to make it one in Jesus' name. Amen.